Good morning, Liberty Lake Church. Won't you join us with Come Now is the Time to Worship. seated. Good morning. We had some really cool lighting going on in the sky this morning at our house. Didn't last all that long, but it was pretty cool. Um, my name is Gary. If you don't know me, I think most of you do. Um, just a couple announcements. Youth group is up, is uh, back and starting tonight at 5.30 here at the church, 5.30 to 7. Uh, ladies game night is tomorrow night at 6.30. And come and join with other ladies for a fun evening of games and fellowship. Bring a snack to share 
And uh, I don't know, the guys, what are we doing? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> We're not invited. Uh, we are uh, going to be moving the family prayer night back to the fourth uh, Tuesday of the month. It got moved kind of because of the holiday season, all that stuff going on. So January 26th um, at 530 is when we will both, we'll be gathering um, in the uh, that area out there, <laughs> the foyer, thank you, and uh, praying together um, for the church, for the country, um, for whatever's on your heart. It's, uh, it's a good time. It's, um, it's a, a good time to get together and pray together and, and lift your voices. And then uh, last but not least, just the last one I was given, on uh, Thursday mornings at 9.30, the ladies' Bible study is meeting, and they're starting a new study called Navigating in Hope and God's Promises. And if you have any questions about that, talk to Joan. It's at 9.30 on Thursdays. All right, let's get back to worshiping. Won't you join us with Build Your Kingdom here as we lift up our Lord's name. Come set your rule and reign in our hearts again. Increase in us, we pray. Unveil why we're made. Come set our hearts ablaze with hope, like wildfire in our very souls. Holy Spirit, come invade us now.
God is still king, even in this new year, right? Washed away, 
not just with our outward words or with our traditions, coming to church and doing the religious thing. Father, may it be from the inside out, from our hearts, from our souls, and from our minds, in the quietness of our room that feels so safe. Um, You're there, and you're watching us, and more importantly, you're in us, Father. And so I pray that you would just continue from the inside out to transform and change us and um, open up our hearts to the word today that uh, you'll be speaking through Shane um, as a vessel. We love you and we thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Nursery kids, you guys are dismissed. Good morning. Uh, You know, isn't it a privilege that we have uh, guys that cover the pulpit uh, so that we can send them other places and I can go other places? It's it's just really a neat, uh, a neat thing that God has given us in this church. So last week Gary was here and did a great job, and uh, and uh, this week Alan's actually over at Airway Heights preaching, uh, helping to cover the pulpit there for my buddy Steve, who has been deployed and is gone for six months. Could you guys imagine how, how just how challenging that would be to have, to be a father of ten? Uh, they have they have two adopted kids and then eight of their own, and uh, his bride is now making life on her own um, for six. Actually, it'll, it'll be more like eight months by the time they're all done. I think in the, how the military works with the deployment stuff. So hopefully he'll be back in the seven months or so. But it really is a privilege, and I am grateful uh, that we get to do what we get to do and that God has blessed us uh, with his family. Have you guys ever noticed, um, I don't know if you guys had the privilege of this, with our boys, uh, they would always start out playing uh, well together. 
um, and some of you moms are already giggling because you had an idea what I'm going with this. But somehow they would start off good, and everybody was having fun, and everybody was friends, and it would normally end in some kind of a battle where someone was hurt, there was blood, and now they were mad, and parents had to be called in to bring peace to that situation. You guys ever had that? Any of you ever seen that? Do girls do that? Okay, I'm, I have no clue. I raised boys. I don't know. Um, you, girls, to me, just all seem so sweet. Wow. That's amazing. I honestly didn't expect you guys to support that so much. Um, it was, but it is interesting, isn't it, when we watch how people respond to life and how they respond uh, to the things that are going on. And we're going to watch this happen today. I, I titled the sermon today, um, let me remind myself what I titled it, uh, The Heart of the People Exposed, because we're actually watching the interaction between Pilate and Jesus and the crowd. And it's amazing to watch what happens and to watch the change of, of temperament and attitude and desires of this crowd that, uh, that, that is right there in the, the, the city of Jerusalem that Pilate is having to deal with and that ends up uh, basically convincing him to crucify uh, Jesus. And, and so we're going we're gonna to look at that today and, and watch how this happens. And here's the challenge, I, you know, as you experience... Uh, life, as you experience the things, the challenges that you're going to face uh, even this week and in the next week, one of the things that, is, that was so difficult and challenging for me, and we're going to look at it at the end, is how much like uh, the people of Jerusalem I can be at times, how, how in one minute I can be happy about something and then with almost no uh, catalyst I can just suddenly be not happy about life and, and struggling and frustrated and discouraged and um, or angry. That's that's a great one, and uh, it it can just happen so quickly. And so I've been become very aware of that this week in my own life. And my hope is that you will suffer with me in the reality of where we're at in our own lives as we look at how we function and how quickly uh, we are swayed from uh, confidence in the Lord and trust in His sovereign hand to doubt and fear and oftentimes anger. Turn with me in Mark chapter 15, starting in verse 6. We're going to read this morning. Now at the feast, he used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked. And among the rebels in the prison, whom had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. And he answered them, saying, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priests had delivered him up. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. And Pilate said to them, Then what shall I do with the man you call the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, Crucify him. And Pilate said to them, Why? What evil has he done? And they shouted all the more, Crucify him. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. So in the story, one of the, the first thing that we notice, uh, it, Pilate has a, a, a political prisoner release program, right? 
You see that in the big, he, he's releasing a prisoner, somebody that they that they're holding in prison, that the crowd wants to be released. And so it's a popularity thing. It's a political move. Pilate is trying to, I believe what Pilate's trying to do is keep the Jews happy enough that they don't cause any more problems. In fact, we even see the insurrection that's mentioned here um, in, in, in the, the behavior and actions that have happened have caused Pilate a lot of headaches. Uh, both Alan and, and Gary have done a great job of, of talking about that. <clears throat> as we've looked at this text um, it, it previously. And so here's Pilate, and he's attempting to appease the, his audience, the, this crowd that has arrived, for the feast. And, and I love, I love the, the whole picture in this because it, it's obviously a ton of chaos. It's obviously a politically hostile environment. And here they come for this celebration, for this, for this moment, this excitement. And, and Mark references that there's this guy, Barabbas, and he gives us some details. We'll look at him in just a second. But Pilate begins this whole process, and he knows that this is coming, and the people come and ask, and, and he gives them his choice. But we see the people choose something totally different. I was thinking to myself, are there any good illustrations of that in the church? And I thought, well, that'd just be mean. We probably don't want any personal illustrations of how, how uh, the politics work in church, do we? You guys are good with that? Can we just acknowledge the fact that we have issues with that even in the blessed, wonderful church of God? Okay, so I'm just going to free you all from the pain of the realities of those things. I, I honestly, I did think about it. I was laying awake last night going over my sermon, and I thought, no. No, let's not do that. We have enough. We have enough of that. But you can see what Pilate's up against, right? He's up against a crowd that hates the Romans. They hate their captivity. They're not happy about where they're at. And here Barabbas is. And obviously Barabbas was one of the popular ones. He was one of the political prisoners that, for whatever reason, had enough popularity, enough public presence that the crowd was cheering for him to get out. They wanted him released. In this process. So the two men, who do we have in captivity in our story here? And it's, the irony in this is, is just incredible. Um, let's look at who Barabbas is first in Acts chapter 3. Uh, Peter actually speaks to this in Acts chapter 3. Um, right after they'd healed the lame beggar, and, and he's preparing uh, to give another one of the great sermons that he gives in, in, in calling people to repentance. He says this, Acts chapter 3, verse 11. And the beggar is the one here in the, the first part of the story. Acts chapter 3, verse 11. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people utterly astounded ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though our own power or piety or by our own power or piety, we have made him walk. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate, when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom, raised, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and now and know. And the faith that is, um, 
And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. Barabbas, known as a murderer, guilty, and he's in prison for his own actions, right? Yes, yes. We're going we're gonna to go with the text on that, sorry. Should I warn you about that when we're just going to take what the Bible says and go with it? Because I'd be glad to. Okay. I'd... Barabbas was a murderer. Even Pilate recognized him as a murderer. He, he's offering, he, in this process, they're acknowledging that Barabbas, yes, he's a political prisoner, but he is not innocent. He's guilty of the charges that he had been accused of. And who's Jesus? Who, who is this man named Jesus? Or as Pilate called him, the king of the Jews. Uh, look back in chapter uh, in Luke chapter 23. <clears throat> Luke chapter 23, starting in verse 13. This is Pilate. Uh, and it's it's a longer description of of the discussion as he's trying to um, actually get Jesus off. Luke chapter twenty three verse thirteen. Pilate then called together the chief priests and the rulers of the people and said to them, "You brought me this man as one who is misleading the people. And after examining him before you, behold, I did not find this man guilty of any of your charges against him. Neither did Herod." For he sent him back to us. Look, nothing deserving death has been done by him. I will therefore punish and release him. Even Herod or Herod and Pilate both acknowledged. Uh, we know the story of Herod, right? His his uh, Jesus was before Herod, and his bride has this dream, and she comes out, and she's like, "Stay away from him. Don't don't have anything to do with him." And and. Uh, and so Herod sends him back to Pilate, turns him back. And so here Pilate is lobbying, or he's discussing with the chief priests and the, and the, and the scribes saying, you guys, there's nothing wrong here. I love how at the end of that he goes, well, I'll punish him and send him out. Will that make you happy? Did you catch that? He's done nothing deserving of death, but I'll punish him for you and, and send him loose. Um, what an amazing, uh, an amazing picture. Even Pilate himself declares Jesus innocent. Pilate did. Not a Jew, not a believer in Jesus. He examined the facts and declares him innocent. In fact, I think that's what drove him to make the offer of turning Jesus loose, right? Did you, did you catch that in our text? Look at verse 10. Actually, it's verse 9. I'm sorry, verse 9. And he answered them saying, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? Verse 10, for he perceived that it was out of the envy that the chief priests had delivered him up. He actually recognized that there was a political battle. The chief priests were envious of Jesus' following, and therefore they were wanting to get rid of him, but he noticed, he recognized that he was innocent. In fact, I think if you go back to Matthew chapter 21, on Pilate's part, he actually was playing a pretty good political card too. Look at Matthew chapter 21. This was just a few days before, probably, probably about a week before. Matthew chapter 21, verse 1. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage 
to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied in a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, put them, uh, put them, put on them their cloaks, uh, he, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And all the crowds, this is the prophet, Jesus, from Nazarene of Nazareth of Galilee. Here they just had this momentous, triumphal entry is what we call it, this big celebration. The people are cheering, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They're celebrating the arrival of their king, the son of David, this promised Messiah who was going to set Rome out of their place, who was going to put the Jews back in order in the, in the place that they were supposed to be, back on top of all the world political things and just set everything right. Just seven days before. So Pilate, looking at the circumstances, he goes, well, the people love him. It's just the chief priests that are the problem. And so he offers to them Jesus uh, to actually free the king of the Jews, who they were crying out and celebrating as the promised coming heir of David. And he can see through, as we've already said, he can see right through the Pharisees, right? In fact, it's interesting, their remarks in uh, John chapter 12, uh, verses 16 uh, through 19. Look at, look at what they actually say here. It's, it's very interesting. His disciples did not understand, uh, verse 16 of John chapter 12, his disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead, continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they had heard that he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, You see, that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. The Pharisees actually acknowledged that, that their whole world, all of the people that they saw that were following Jesus, they had lost their influence with him. They were following him, and there was nothing they could do about it. Isn't it interesting that those who saw the, the miracle of Lazarus, those people continued to bear witness about him because what they saw Jesus do something that was unbelievable, and they continued to bear witness about him. And people came from everywhere to see the signs and the miracles. It, it was absolutely amazing. Guys, and it's that crowd that cried, crucify him. It's that crowd that was turned against him and became the very voice that cried for his death. Our text tells us that when he offered them and 
to the king of the Jews in verse 11, but the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. The chief priest stirred them up, and it was this moment of simple uh, coercion, and, and the chief priests are in the crowd, and they riled them up and got them to turn on Jesus. The, you know, the question that really grabbed me is, did they forget? Did, did they forget the last three years of his ministry where he was doing miracles all across the region? He was causing the blind to see. He was healing the lame. He was casting out demons, even to the point of raising Lazarus from the dead. Did they forget all of these things that he had done? Did they forget that earlier, earlier in that week that they were celebrating his arrival as the promised king? Did they forget all of those things? Did they forget all of the prophecy that's written throughout all of the Old Testament prophesying of his arrival? And even the way that he would be treated. Look at what, we're just going to read a couple of them. There's, there's many that we could read, but we'll just grab a couple. Uh, Isaiah chapter 50, verse 6. It says this, I gave my back to those who strike and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. Another one similar, not far from it in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 1. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he bore our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. You say, Shane, that uh, they didn't know about that yet because that hadn't happened. I know. I uh, thought maybe we should be reminded of some passages of the Old Testament that prophesied what we would see, who Jesus was. They had him. They knew he was coming. They sang Hosanna. To the promised son of David, Hosanna for the one who comes in the name of the Lord. They had the prophecy. They had the miracles. They had everything in front of them to be reminded of who Jesus was. And yet when the moment happened, the crowds turned. And they cried, crucify him. As I was wrestling with that question, did they forget? I found myself having to answer my own question. Do I forget? Have I forgotten? Do I find myself in moments of despair and frustration and anger because I forget who God is? Because I forget what He's done on the cross for me? Do I find myself walking into temptation and giving in to the pressures of sin because I forget the cost that He paid? The victory that He has given us over sin? 
the choice that we now have to live in a new life and, and not to be obedient to or s- slaves to our sin? Is it possible that, that we are so comfortable in our Christianity that we have become the people of James chapter 1? James chapter 1, starting in verse 19, says this. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks in the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. As I was thinking about the people of Israel, and uh, you guys, let's just be honest, right? Isn't there a part of us that says, how could they, I mean, let's just, if we had Jesus here doing miracles for us, if you saw him raise somebody from the dead, don't we at some point think, well, I wouldn't have done that. I wouldn't have left, I wouldn't have forsaken him. I would trust him. You guys don't ever think that? I think we do. I think at some point we really do. Down deep in our hearts, we, we look at, this, at these, these people that live out this life and that, that make these horrible mistakes, and, and we watch them make the mis- these mistakes, and we're like, man, I'm glad God chose me for today. And we forget that, that we choose sin, we choose to abandon our relationship with the Lord as easily as they do. I mean, how many of you panic when you see the red flag warning on your weather station? You guys thought I was going to go political, but I'm not. (laughs) How many of you panic with your red flag warning? Some of you figured it out, right? Like it, they, they put red flags up everywhere. We have so much around us that says life is unsafe. It, it's, it's not, you know, you guys, we should all be terrified and just huddled up in our homes. For the church, right? So even if we do die, whoopee, right? I mean, at some level, is that not what we profess to believe? Yeah, so what are we worried about? Thank you. No, but seriously, brothers and sisters, what are we fearful of? What are we terrified about in this life? I get it. There's, there's, there's physical things. I, I'm, I mean, I'm getting older. I have to be really careful how I go running downstairs anymore. Seriously. I come, I come across today, just came walking down the steps there at the front, and I'm like, Oh, wow, what was that? 
I can't just run down them like I used to. Yeah, I'm, I'm, being, I'm more careful about a lot of things. I don't do things I used to do because physically I can't. I'm going to get hurt. And so I get that. I understand that we're going to take precautions. My bride works in the medical field. She's wearing a mask this morning. She's around kids that are testing for COVID every day that she goes to work. Every day. My bride works out there on the front lines. And she's working with dumb kids. If any of you are watching, love you. But they're dumb kids. And they do dumb things, right? We all did. But the point is, yes, we take precautions, but we shouldn't be terrified. We shouldn't be flopping around on what we believe about God. No matter what the culture does, no matter what society says, no matter what our life does, we serve a God that says he's faithful and secure. And even in the midst of this, you watch Jesus. Yes, we saw a few I don't know, was it a month back, two months back? He's pleading with the Lord, if there's any other way, if there's any way for this cup to pass, Lord, I will take it. But not my will, but yours be done. And then you watch him walk faithfully into the will of his Father. We don't see him waffling on his faith in God. In fact, the, the, the amazing part of the teaching that he does all of the week before thought about this this morning. Maybe, the, maybe part of the reason that, that the people forgot a little bit is because Jesus didn't do a whole lot of miracles that week. He was just preaching. I got tired of the preaching. My conviction is, is that I forget quickly who God is. I forget quickly who God says I am as His child. And I will... I will surrender hope and joy and faith and obedience for the fleshly desires of anger and fear and, and sin and those things. And, and it's, it takes almost nothing. Almost nothing. And half of you are going to drive home today. You have an opportunity to lose your mind. Because you're going to be out driving with other people. I mean, how many of us go nuts on the road if somebody does something dumb in front of us? Amen. I, I, every now and then some of you come in and you're like, Pastor, I understand exactly what you're going through. I just feel like we're related. Because we were so quick to flip the switch. My bride can testify to that. Yesterday we were, we were following somebody who decided that they needed to slow down for a mile and a half to make a left-hand turn. That had a turn lane. What is that? <laughs> how, do you, how do we flip the switch in our lives? How do we become the crowd that is so easily manipulated by the culture and the pressures that are around us? I believe it's when we begin, we forget who our Father is. We forget who our Messiah is. We even forget the Word. You know, we claim that this is our authority. We claim that this is the written word of God given to us for instruction and direction in our lives. I wonder if we were to balance out the amount of time we spend in this compared to the time we spend on any other electronic device. If the Bible would even make a statistical blip in our church culture. If we really believe it, shouldn't we engage it? 
Do we forget? I think we do. I think I do. I want to encourage you this morning. Jesus went to the cross to fulfill the word of his, the will of his Father. He was betrayed. He was denied. He was unjustly beaten. We're going to see more of that next week. We're going to watch this promised Messiah go to the cross to conquer sin, to defeat death, and to pay for the wrath that is due you and me because of our sin. We're going to watch that in the next couple of weeks. I want to challenge you to set in your heart to not forget. To not forget who we are in Christ. To not forget the price that he paid. To not forget who we claim to follow. That sounds wonderful. You all in? Let's not forget. Okay, so what are we going to do in an hour from now? What are we going to do this week when work doesn't go the way we want it to? When the people on the road don't drive the way we think they should? When our government fails us? When our friends fail us? When your pastor fails you? When your bride or spouse fail you? I guess they're the same thing, sorry. Or your kids or whatever. You know what I mean. What are we going to do then? What's that action step you take? I am convinced that I am well-meaning in my passion, but I fall woefully short in my conviction at times. So part of what I'm doing is that uh, I'm trying to share and confess these things to a couple of my brothers who keep a really close eye on my life. And, And they know. Because they they know how I drive, they know the propensity of my heart to be selfish, and to be quick to anger, to be quick to speak. You know, when you read that out of James, I'm like, that's like half my life. Slow to speak, slow to anger. I I'm the one that talks a lot. Of, that's probably why I'm up here. So it's really hard for me to be slow to speak. Got things to say. I want to really challenge you. You can't do this on your own. You can't do it. People have been trying for years. It doesn't work. You've got to find somebody else in the body of Christ that will stand with you, that will hold you accountable, that will be a friend enough to say, knock that off. Did you forget who you were? Have you been in your Bible today? Wouldn't that be a, oh, I'm not asking you now. Jeez, some of you, I'm like, whew. You guys thought that was going to be an open-ended question. No, 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 I'm not asking that. But we should ask that question. You have somebody that digs in and, and meddles in your life, somebody that cares that you can trust. Because you're not going to do it on your own. I can't do it on my own. And if we don't, I think that we will be just like the crowd of Jesus' day. When life gets rough, when life gets rough, and our circumstances change, and we don't like the situation we're in, we'll be the first ones to cry out, crucify him. Would you pray with me this morning as we...
close. Father, I just, I am grateful, God, that you are patient and kind, long-suffering, and that it is your desire to forgive the sins of your people, that in your heart and in your, your sovereignty, Lord, you made a way for the weak, the sinner, and even those that were called, are called your enemy. Lord, that you have made a solution to the sin problem that we have. God, I, I, am, I acknowledge I struggle to be committed to be in your word. And uh, on a personal level, I think at times it becomes easy to, to excuse the personal time because I'm in your word most of the week preparing a sermon. And, and it got him convicted that uh, maybe I don't know the thirst that the psalmist talks about in, in the, the panting after you like a deer. God, I pray that as we consider this morning what it means to remember who you are, to remember the the reality of the the payment that you, Lord Jesus, in this text are moving towards, but are are, are soon to to suffer the consequences of. To remember the the Old Testament prophecies, the the words spoken outside of time that have been fulfilled through your Son Jesus. And to remember, Lord, who we claim to believe in, remember the, the promised word that we have in front of us, that we can go and read and hear from you because it's living and active. God, I pray that you would help us to remember this week who you are. That in that moment of fear, in that moment of discouragement or anger or pain or temptation, whatever those things are, Lord, that we would turn and rejoice and worship you. Not because life, our life is comfortable or, or easy, but because you are good and you are worthy of our praise. May you be exalted in the worship of your church this week as we worship you every day. In your name, amen. Won't you join us with the solid rock as we close praising our
encouraged and even at times convicted jesus by your spirit to get in the word and to seek your truths father that you may speak to us um, we desire to hear your voice we are open to hearing your voice and uh, even <laughs> at times father i don't feel motivated would you motivate me um, lord i believe help my unbelief father every day we love you and we thank you god bless my family in this coming week I look forward to seeing them soon. In Jesus' name, amen. Love you guys. Take care.